0: Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's uh, Utter Shambles, Josie and Robin's Utter Shambles. We are egalitarian in that way. Uh, And today's a very special show where two old men are going to talk about (laughs) what it was like in the 80s while a younger woman looks on with disgust.
1: So like Uh, any TV show,
0: really. Any TV show or any of our podcasts, (laughs) predominantly. Um, We're joined by Stuart Lee. Hello. Uh, Stuart, the reason we're we're meant to be doing specific subjects in each one of these podcasts, it hasn't really worked, has it? It
1: didn't happen. What's the subject today?
0: Well, it's alternative comedy because oh. Oh. it's something that we've talked about a lot in the past, and and Josie we've talked about which is um, there is now considered to be by some a kind of the mainstream and the alternative again yeah. as there was, but it's slightly different to the nineteen seventies nineteen seventy nine thing because like people will still say these alternative comedians like Michael McIntyre, yeah. which seems to be entirely you go it's like saying you know alternative bands like yeah. Radiohead and REM once you've got over twenty thousand in a stadium. The alternative nature is kind of gone. So I wanted to start off just by saying, what, what was the first live comedy that you saw?
2: The first live comedy I saw right, ever was uh, The Two Ronnies um, at um, the, a theatre in Coventry when I was about eight, which was really, really brilliant. And to, and to this day has been one of the, There was, a, you know, the, the sort of five times in my life when I've fallen to the floor in pain, <laughs> laughing, that was one of them. And um, so that was really good. But the, f- the first sort of grown they had
0: up. No idea they did live shows. Yeah, they
2: did a tour. And, and interestingly, about half of it was an episode of Porridge, which wow. Ronnie Barker did with um, the, some of the other guys in Porridge on a prison set. There was an incredibly long uh, Ronnie Corbett monologue. But the thing that <laughs> the thing that made me fall on the floor laughing was one of the Ronnie Barker things where he gets his words mixed up, and he was talking about it was like Cockney rhyming slang, and he was talking about a little brown Richard III. But from the amount that the other people in the room were laughing. I realised that it couldn't mean birds, that it must have meant something to do with excrement. That was obviously turd, but I didn't understand that at the time. But I s- realised that something adult was going on that I didn't get. And once I sort of guessed it, I remember just being on the floor in the aisles at the Coventry Gate, crying with laughter at that. And there's, you know, the, the f- very few other times that's happened. Twice, twice I've been with um, Kevin McAleer, once I think with Paul Foot. But, you know, that first one, the first one of losing absolute physical control was watching... Um, Watching the two oneies, but the first time I saw comedy, sort of as an adult, uh, you know, would have been the, the first wave of sort of alternative people. Um, in in fact, the, the first thing I ever saw was Peter Richardson from the comic strip uh, opening for Dex's Midnight Runners. What doing did he um, do on his own. Yeah, he was on his own. Yeah, doing a character of a Mexican bandit, which subsequently ended up being the backbone of the comic strip episode Fistful of Travelers Checks. Yeah, it's in that and in War yeah. as well. It went down pretty badly. Uh, they, they were just on the verge of um, becoming sort of pop stars again off the back of uh, Come On Eileen. And uh, most of the audience weren't, you know, a crowd that would have gone for it. But in those days, there was a kind of thing where stand-ups would be on with the post-punk, with the bands in the sort of immediate post-punk era. And f- subsequently, I met Peter Richards, who was a writer for Peter Richardson. And he said they only ever did that character once live uh, and it was supporting Dex with Night Runners in Birmingham. It went so badly; he never did it again. <laughs> but I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I'm, I really, really loved it. Then the next thing I saw was um, Phil Jupiter's opening for Billy Bragg about twelve months later, when he was called Porky the Poet. And Billy Bragg back then used to tour these like sort of review shows, where it was um, it'd be him, the Frank Chickens, uh, like Hank Wangford's country and western band, the Sid Presley Experience, who were like an amazing kind of. Uh, sort of Stooges, kind of hard rock sort of band uh, um, he, uh, that became um, The Godfathers. And uh, Phil Jupiter she used to be on a lot as well. And I saw Phil a couple of times with Billy Bragg being Porky the Poet, which, again, he used to do. I think he started doing that act again. He did. Yeah, it, he, he did like this year. And it yeah. sort of like it was, again, it seemed amazing at the time. It was sort of the, the kind of first ideas you would have as a teenager. I mean, he was only about 17, 18, and he was a, he was a fanzine editor. He'd edited a fanzine called Jamming, and he would have been very young. And uh, he used to do things about, you know, what if there was a riot in Trumpton, and he'd do a poem about Trumpton, but it was all like the Brixton riots, you know, that kind Hang of. Hang on, thing.
0: that's half man, half biscuit. Yeah,
2: no, there wasn't that one. There was another one. <laughs> I was gonna say
0: otherwise, everyone's going to go that dupes. No, it was those. Off, wasn't it? it was
2: those sorts of things. Yeah. you know. And then, um, then the next thing, then the thing I've talked about this so many times that I probably will just say it exactly as I ever have done. The pivotal thing for me was seeing, um, uh. I I probably saw Rowan Atkinson around that time on tour and they did a theatre tour with um with uh, Angus Deaton as the sort of support mm. guy.
1: What sort of theaters are you talking like four hundred seaters or one thousand? What with with uh,
2: with Rowan Atkinson, mm-hmm. four or five hundred seats, probably been the uh Alex in Birmingham, you know. I mean not there wasn't the thing then. There wasn't there was nobody was doing stadiums and comics didn't it didn't really they do 30 dates you know i didn't really didn't really think there was a market out there um so when it, it was exceptional to see i remember not going to see um the uh rick Mail and alexi sale tour i remember i can't remember why i didn't go i remember not going to dave allen as well And i remember my friend james trying to get me to go to both of them and not going and i really regret that then but the thing i saw that was why i'm here today was uh which we talked about before well all of us are different. it was when I was fifteen, sixteen, seeing Ted Chippington open for the Fall, which was sort of, it was amazing to see someone doing really weird stand-up to an audience that didn't particularly want to see it, not caring about whether it went down badly or well, but that it being hysterical for pockets of the room, you know. And I think that basically that was a very created a very bad precedent in my mind <laughs> that I've tried to. Yeah. <laughs> Maintain ever since, but in those days, stand ups did used to go with bands. And I, you know, I've been asked to do it. I'm sure we all have. I've been, you know, I've been asked a number of times. Would you open for people? I Open for the Nightingales about ten years ago because Ted Chippington used to, and that was okay. But I had to do my 1988 open spot set because you have to have something mm. punchy. And I'm opening for the X, who were uh, uh, for the 35th anniversary of the X, the Dutch anarchist uh, free jazz uh, hardcore punk world music band. At Cafe Otto on the thirtieth of uh, of November. Well, I don't quite know what I'm going to do there.
0: But that's a different thing, isn't it? Because the moment it becomes really art house, the moment if, if you've got yeah. a pop band, like as everyone knows, you know Matt Lucas supported Blur, and of course that was you know they, they were a very successful indie pop band, yeah. and a guy that at that point no one had ever really heard of. And because I, I think they just it, went down
2: very badly supporting Embrace as well. I remember.
1: But also, you've got to think about it from a staging point yeah. of view. Because like, then you've got people who like need to sound check or test mm. stuff. And it's sort of a weird... atmosphere to go out and you'll have a bloody radio yeah, mic but just knowing it's got good. Th-
2: and I, and I, I hate being an old man. Which, but I'm thinking about it. But I do think it was slightly different 30 years ago. Because, I think it was exactly the same. Well, the, no, it, because there way. wasn't the YouTube. And there was only three channels of telly. Can
1: I and just say, if, you, if yeah. you call it the YouTube, <laughs> you seem more like an old man. <laughs> no, I, know, yeah, <laughs> I know. You've been
2: on the YouTube. <laughs> I know. And then... When someone came out, you'd never have seen anything like it. So you'd shut up and listened, or you at least give it the benefit of the doubt because it was amazing because there was no other way of finding out about these things. So, you know, so spoke in an immediate post punk era, stand ups or performance poets or performance artists on a bill, people gave them the time of day because I think they weren't saturated with options. So you kind of think, all right, let's see, let's see. how that goes down Not always. whereas I mean, now you can think all comics are immediately shit as you go onto YouTube and find something that was filmed on someone's <laughs>
0: phone and then it's cut at the point of the punchline and all yeah, of those yeah, yeah. but you're right I mean I think that is an interesting because I, I wonder again as old men sorry Josie but the the kind of uh, excitement of word of mouth when I first went to the comedy store when it was it was the second incarnation it was still broken chairs yeah, I remember down in problem. the sub subter- and yeah. and I went there and there was uh, Julian Clary's Joan Collins fan club with at that point very long blonde hair yeah. rubber Vest Fanny the Wonder Dog. There was Andrew Bailey, was oh, yeah. there in his Freddie Benson incarnation, this guy in an enormous glitter jacket with a skull face, climbing over beams and challenging to, to cut people's hair yeah. while then playing a mini harmonica attached yeah. to an action man. And there was a sense of, well, What have I come to? I've come to another world. Yeah, yeah. yeah Whereas you know now, no,
1: that still happens yeah. now for yeah. me all the time. Like, you just have to go to the right nights, yeah, and it's it still was. the same delight, and it's still sort of, you know as obscure because yeah there'll be some things on YouTube but not enough not yeah. really and like someone like Ben Tajay or oh I'm not Dr. saying Van it's gone something. in, in no, any way I, I, think, gone, I, I, I think, think
0: there's a uh, to say that th- you know youth culture obviously youth culture only really started in the 1940s so there's a couple of generations where it was all an entirely new thing by the time old men like us in the 80s already you you know it was becoming slightly kind of faded they were beginning to use pop music in adverts you yeah, know that's a bizarre thing that in our lifetime it never used. they would use a bit of classical music and that would be fine and then someone went Imagine using a, so- a soul song to sell jeans. Yeah. This is we've never imagined such yeah, a yeah, thing. Yeah. So I don't think that there's not a, there's certainly not a lack now of exciting mm. interest. In fact, a lot of the alternative stuff. I reckon if I went to see that now, as we did, do you remember when once we we had to review Saturday Live, oh uh, God, yeah. and we watched it and we went, well, this was. You know, as as a 16-year-old, mm. turning that on Channel 4 at 8.30, whatever I was on Saturday, going, look at this amazing world mm. of an audience forced to stand up and watch comics who was saying the most amazing... And then you watch it now and you go, "Whoa!" a lot of it was quite a bit like old punk and things like that. You go, yeah. it's, it needed to happen, yeah. but it's not a thing best left in your mind and not returned to Yeah, it. yeah. So that's the... the th- what was your first experience of a live gig?
1: Um... We went to a lot of, like... God, this is going to sound really middle class. We went to a lot of, like, theatre shows. You
0: don't have to get quieter when you get middle class. Well,
1: you know, that's how it works. I, well, I went to see Lee Evans with my mum and my stepdad when I was 14, and, he, and I heckled by mistakes I didn't understand. So this is, like, about six months before I did my first gig, actually. I went to see... Lee Evans, and I went to see Eddie Azard within about two weeks. And it is a bit ridiculous that But when I was doing stand-up, I hadn't done any, seen much stand-up, but I think, to be honest, it was probably... Well, you
0: were very precocious. When we were going
2: to gigs as teenagers, you instead were doing gigs as a as teen- you, know, you know. You know what? I, th- I I think I was lucky that I hadn't seen very much. Right, Basically, when I first started doing stand-up, I'd seen Phil Jupiter's do Porky the Poet twice, mm. Ted Chippington once, Sadovitz, Arnold Brown, Norman Lovett, and Arthur Smith.
1: Don't need to see anyone right. else, huh? Don't need to see anyone. I know, else.
2: and you know what? If, the thing is, if I'd seen loads of normal people talk about normal things, I think I'd have thought oh, I can't do that. But I was lucky that most of the first ten people I saw mm-hmm. were still people that I think are really great because they're really off beam, and you know. And so I kind of thought that was what you were allowed to do. Whereas I reckon if I'd if I'd seen more of it, I'd have lost my nerve. By the time I started, it was too late. <laughs> I'd already thought, I'd already thought that was how you did it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's know? how I felt like in terms of like, because I started before I realised that I could be frightened out of it or yeah. intimidated out of it, and then just kept going. But yeah. I saw Lee Evans, and he was t- doing a bit, and because I'd not really, I'd seen so much TV comedy. That's what really sort of switched me on. Was sort of watching Monty Python and and watching, I used to sneak upstairs and watch the Mary Whitehouse experience and I didn't understand it at all (laughs) and I was like eight or nine and I used to like convulse with laughter. It like hurt me how much I was laughing at it and I don't really understand. I just think it was just so exciting.
0: That's a sad thing to lose, you know. When you said that, for like the most recently, I think the time that I've been in in agony, two times I've been most recently been in agonising laughter was Steve Merchant about a year ago, trying out an idea oh, about so trying to buy bar- a sheet of glass, mm. which was just everything about him. I think is you know six foot seven, huge googly eyes, yeah, yeah. the the constant fury that life hasn't worked out how he'd hoped. Yeah. That's and that had me properly feeling a bit sick, and I wanted him to stop. And the uh, the other one I think was Brian Gittins, uh, who uh, you know the, this bizarre cafe and him yeah, make yeah. an audience do the hokey-cokey at the Green Man Festival at two in the morning, which was a proper, I can no longer
2: actually work out how to sit in a fold-up chair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that. <laughs> so, But those things have... I'm more <laughs> often moved to tears now than laughter. As In my teens and twenties, I'd be moved to hysterics of laughter, and I'm just weeping all the time.
1: Well, because <laughs> you think it's beautiful all your time. Yeah, I
2: think things are beautiful. That seems seems to forget me more than... I cried in
1: Happy show this year. Yeah. It was very yeah. good. I am... I, um, uh, I love, um, I think Brian Gittins is so brilliantly funny because he can do things like just go, and then, and that's enough to like, well, that's the
0: interesting thing is Brian Gittings is, I would say, that, that kind of thing. There was the, I don't know if there was a period of time or not. I, I, the 90s, the, the there's definitely been a period of time, by the way. That was a very broad statement. There have been a selection of period of times, whatever some physicists say. But the, um, the point in the 90s where things seem to become so embraced by the media and the beginning of this kind of century, the 21st century. Um, and then I don't know where the alternative starts again. If you see what I mean. Because I, I think people, still, some people just think all oh, comedy is just comedy again. You know, in, in 1970, when we were growing up and we were, you know, getting yeah, kind of fanzines and stuff yeah. and, and there was the young ones. There yeah. was this thing which was very, very, you know, oh, wow, have you seen the young ones yeah, and yeah. The, the excitement and the bizarreness? Yeah, and, yeah. and again, not getting a lot of the jokes as a 13-year-old, some of the things. Um,
1: I'll tell you what, right? When In 1998, 1999, when I started gigging, I remember sort of doing a lot of gigs in like pubs and restaurants, etc., and them all being with like guys in suits talking about stuff. Right then, w- when I went to university, we did a lot of like mucking around, and then I came out of university in two thousand and three and started again. And that for me felt completely different. Scene wise, you know in what? those I four years, I agree
2: with you because I stopped in about 1999-2000. And then yeah. when I started again in about 2003-2004 and actually saw people like you yes. or the venues, that, the clubs that Robin was running, I think something happened in that period where I think what what had been alternative comedy reached a sort of saturation point where there were lots of people going out for stag nights and hen nights to their big local club. And what seemed to have happened in the period I had off or the pe- period you were in further education was that every town that had got a jongleurs and a comedy store, suddenly it also had... The, uh, the other gig that yeah. was doing well like the Comedy Box in uh, yeah, Bristol yeah, or whatever yeah, there yeah. always seemed to be like another one and they did and, and also lots of people like yourself and Robin and whatever seem to have set up these other kinds of gigs and I mean that's there really is an alternative yeah. circuit now and if, basically if you're on that alternative circuit you probably go to Edinburgh yeah. and your dream is to try and um, get a, a tour of uh, 100 to 200 seater arts centres if you're not if you're not on that circuit you do comedy stores Junglers whatever is Highlights whatever they are now and you you um you'd go to Edinburgh once or twice, and your dream is to get spotty to get on the road show and then get a tour of uh thousand seats stadiums <laughs> theatres and stadiums there is a slightly different thing and and that's short term as well that's like can you do that once or twice and then become some kind of celebrity yeah and and not have to really do stand up and um where well, so I, I think that alternative circuit for for one of a better word and I think it'd be good if someone could come up with a name for it. Is it seems to be about people that are interested in the long the long term sustainability of operating at a at, at, at a reasonable level without massive overheads you know of actually doing stand up the other one seems to be a shortcut to, and that's why i think something like something like those roadshow type shows it favors people that have got stuff that can be chopped up into 30 second chunks that works in isolation without a character or a setup or a point of view framing it um, so, you get a lot of people like that going through it. Some of them are very good, obviously. But um, So, you mean it's a, the, the observational that for a lot of that stuff to be successful
0: uh, is I'm just like you, here yeah. are things that you do. And then, yeah. of course, you also have the Milton Joneses and, and the Tim Vines yeah, we're good, and really like the good as well. As but as there's, yeah. a, there's a schism or. Because about last year, I just mentioned that I thought the Edinburgh Fringe Festival showed that there was now a mainstream and alternative circuit, and that there was definitely there were two. To, and I mainly the mainstream acts. Friends of mine were like going oh, what are you saying? Well, I've I've got to kind of join in Michael McIntyre's army. But and I went, well, it's not an attack. Yeah. This is what I find interesting is that I I think there's nothing wrong with you know all, all of the kind of people like Michael McIntyre etc. Who you go, yes, that the people want to watch it. This it doesn't destroy comedy no. by them existing. Well, in it, fact, it by having something helps, that I, you know. do you think? it it does, because that's what I find interesting. Sometimes you seem quite pugilistic towards uh, that.
2: Well, that's 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 partly because I've realised that I've been doing, which is complicated, not something I'd ever find myself talking about. But I think, I think that, you know, personally, I, I sort of, I admire and like most stand-ups, right? Because I because even someone that's doing the same twenty for ten years. On the highlight, Jonglers, comedy store circuit, still has to make real choices on a night in a room. You relate to them some way. Yeah. So personally, I, and I always find it interesting to watch stand up. The the sort of the sort of Stuart Lee on stage is is me like without he, he sort of had the brakes removed a bit, and he, and he'd be more angry about it, and you know, and 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 um, and jealous and that sort of thing. So it's like, I don't mean, but I do, but I do, I do think it's a useful distinction to make because I I, I I do think that. Um, a sort of there did seem to be a sort of assumption that if people aren't ready out of the box to do those kind of programs those packaged kind of um roadshow type shows they must not be a good stand-up was actually i think on some way there must be something slightly deficient if you can do those programs because it probably means you're not thinking about a bigger picture of a show as it works as now it's probably nothing unique enough about your voice that means it can't be Mm. snipped up Mm. you know so I just think but on the other hand there's crowd control skills and joke writing skills that those comics have that are very different to something say Brian Gittins or Kevin McAleer Could do, but then
0: again, someone like Dave Allen would
2: have, uh, if if you you know went back to his early days,
0: would have fitted on something like the road show perfectly because he had great observational routines, you know, five to ten minute routines where you could go. I don't know if he would have done. To be honest, I I think think I think the level of concentration required wouldn't. Wouldn't Do you know, my like trouble them. is I don't really watch them because I don't really watch any telly, so I don't know. Yeah. But I think yeah. you're right, in terms of the aims of what you're told, that, that may well be one of the problems, which yeah. is that you have to look out a little bit of going, um, maybe the aim doesn't have to be ten minutes no, and, no. Then, and then think you know, long long-term. term. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's one of the harder things.
1: But also, yeah. I, th- I think, like, it's okay not to think about what you write like a shark, Do you know what I mean? You don't have to be like, oh, I need to be blah, blah, blah. You can just go, what are the things that sound delightful to me and how can I pursue those? Or, you know, how can I write as much as possible and how can I enjoy it as much as possible and how can I make things my own? Like, it doesn't have to be so aggressive. Yeah, well, I think, you know,
2: until such a point as you've got got, um, responsibilities, either social or family or relationship or financial... You know, people should try and be trying to do what they want to find their own voice. I mean, but, it is difficult, and it's much more difficult now than it was twenty years ago. Because twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, there were all sorts of back doors. It was cheaper to live. There was all sorts of benefits and scams, and you know, you got paid in cash for gigs. Transport was about a third of what it is now. But also, so it was newer.
1: Of, like people, yeah. I mean, people probably had done all those things, yeah. but in in not so prominently. I yeah. think there was sort of. Less things to draw on in the tradition. Do you know what I was thinking, though? Um, Ten years ago... Nine years ago, I was thinking about me and my friend Andrew O'Neill and... Um I when we he started he ran a club called the Troy club yeah right yeah, I remember that and that was in the Troy club uh mm. in kingley Street is it yeah yeah it's sort of above a semi-legal Spanish dance hall yeah which I think is still there yeah yeah um and so let's just
0: call it a legal Spanish dance hall for the time being then sure still there let's let's not close down the semi-legal Spanish um, dance hall due to your loose lips
1: <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> I think it's above just an empty shop yeah an empty <laughs> shop
0: or a legal Spanish dance hall yeah
1: and um basically it was a tiny little room and like russell brand used to do it a lot and was incredible like He just, was good, wasn't he? He was yeah, incredible. He was
2: terrible in the 90s. Wasn't he? Started he? Out, That'd yeah. be that heroine. Yeah, <laughs> then. And then he was quite good for a bit. He was and then he just... became a celebrity. Yeah, now
1: yeah. I just wouldn't even yeah. know whether or not I could be bothered to watch yeah, it. But yeah, yeah. seeing him live, oh my God, it was just incredible. Like, tiny Little Room. Anyway, um, what we had at that time was like this real visceral hatred towards what we thought was hack and what we thought was mainstream. And actually, I mean,. To be honest, I don't know how much those clubs and my club at the time really, in a massive meaningful sense, differentiated from other ones. You know, uh, but I'm, um, like writing tracts and pamphlets yeah, you know what? about like how much we hated the mainstream. But I don't think you should
2: start. People yeah. should. You should start from that position, right? You know, you should start from. You should start from that position and work backwards, right? You should, you know, when when you when you can afford to occupy that sort of position, you should. And, uh, and and if you don't start from that position, what are you? You know, you should then, because actually life will crush all those beliefs out of you and all that idealism out of you, and and reality will crush it out of you. And it's not right. it's not right.
1: It. I'm 30. I'm no, totally no, fine. But, He's not you know, right. This you is the to make... character Stuart <laughs> no, Lee <but> talking, <laughs> you not know, <you> Stuart <laughs> to, Lee the man. You need to
2: make a. Need to start from that position. I mean, I, I've just been—I've been, been watching Seinfeld this week for the first time ever. I've never watched it before.
1: Wow, I've really? Never, I've
2: never seen him do stand up. Well, I was working all the time when it was. But you on saw TV. That,
1: documentary, eh? yeah. that documentary, yeah, yeah I've seen that documentary. That's
2: all—that fifty-minute one. But I've never seen it. And um, the obviously in the sitcoms, you, I'm up to season four now. It's really good. Yeah, isn't it is really good. And you get you get kind of thirty-second snippets of the stand-up. Two of the bits I thought were absolutely appalling, like just pathetic. Yeah. But mostly, I thought that's quite interesting. He's like he's done something there about a really dull subject yeah. and made it quite funny and it made me think maybe you know, when I do series three of uh, Comedy View I'll try and do a week of like, things that I would normally never write, want to write about like lifts or elevators or restaurants or, yeah, and just yeah. see what you can do with it because actually you know, you, you, that's, that's having never done that Right,
1: it was Seinfeld—a thing for you guys when you were like hip, cool, young dudes. No, you know, see like that never dudes. happened. That we were young. But
0: all other uh, adjectives and words can be re- removed. Then. Well, no, we didn't. I didn't. Never watch it.
1: But but was that a choice? Was that like us? Oh, no, it was no but do you know it was it because
0: it was on at midnight and we were out, on Tuesdays, we were out doing gigs, yeah. and so yeah. I would normally get back in time. And for uh, Larry catch-up. Sanders. not There wasn't
2: catch-up or DVD or YouTube what how
1: did you live in this horrible yeah, so was, if you didn't world. see
2: it when it was on you wouldn't, you wouldn't I see I also
1: yeah, it was, was alive at that time and no, understand no it was incredible that. but not, not in
2: Stuart's
0: house <laughs> Stuart's house had none of the Stuart lived in one of those kind of communities Look, which in 19...
1: they build in Stuart, Wales Stuart when I was young we did have mobile century. phones in 1992 to to there wasn't
2: um, catch up and YouTube no. so you, if Stewart's you missed Stuart's wattle and <laughs> house in
0: Balham, <laughs> there I remember Pete Bainum putting the moss on the ceiling <laughs> and it was all leaky. The um... he
1: only half did his like he's trying to do your voice. No, do you know, know. what? The he's other like, day was, I was I was I was doing
0: another DVD for Go Faster and I was just I I spent an evening just filming extras basically yeah, yeah. just titting around with an audience and I wanted to do some joke jokes just because yeah. I, I love joke jokes and uh, and I realised that one of them was a Tom O'Connor joke. Well, I it was oh, not right. a Tom, but the first time it was yeah, actually yeah. A Tom O'Connor joke. So I decided to do it. As you oh, right. doing I Tom O'Connor's well. joke, it takes ages. Yeah, yeah, I oh man, Tom O'Connor did it in about three minutes I doing know. your voice. Go, oh no, yeah, it's, you know, turns <laughs> out you know the Pope's his chauffeur, right? It was like, and I can see <laughs> the audience going, yeah, because you know I've always complained about the fact I talk very quickly, which the advantage means that I don't have to do very crafted material. Hopefully, the rhythm eventually. Yes, just catch up. But the, the disadvantage is I have to use so many words, yeah, yeah. whereas you find a good sentence and repeat. Well,
2: you have to think very carefully about this. <laughs> yeah, you're have one Actually, you one sentence. Actually, know that. What thing you said about DVD? Like, there's another thing, right? Like, is now, okay? There's people, people I meet, have got opinions about American stand-ups that have never even toured this yeah. country or been on television. Yeah. You know, and um, and and likewise, I get I get emails from like America, it's really weird. Like mm. you kind of, there's there's um, and but it's and,
1: also uh, lovely, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, but but um, but it, it does make this this whole thing about um. I mean, basically, when when we when we started, the there's about two hundred people nationally doing what you'd call alternative comedy, mm. and you could kind of write a joke and you'd find out if someone had done something similar just by word of mouth. Yeah, whereas now you're in a kind of global marketplace, aren't you? And and you go, oh shit, you know. So that was that mean? guy in Italy, wasn't it? He was ripping everyone off, and he got found out in the end.
1: What was your next factor? Is that the guy? No,
2: there was an Italian comic, right? Who um, who was doing a hodgepodge of sort of his set was like bits of my stuff, bits of. Um, uh, Tim Vine bits of uh, there was all kind of, That's of really old eclectic. Bill Hicks I know in Italy in the Italy. Tom O'Connor joke it's <laughs> is, is seen as one of the
0: great absurdist moments. It would also. be so funny
1: if this guy like. So when he's doing your bit, he slows right down, and then when he does combine, he, he puts on a hat and is <laughs> yeah, like. La, I don't la, know la, how he la, did la. it.
0: No, perhaps the you know the defining factor was that it was in Italian. <laughs> but that's but, the exciting yeah. thing is because that has changed because uh, you know a, a, say a decade or more ago yeah. there were certain acts that you would watch and you'd go hang on that's been taken from an American you know yeah, Ameri- yeah, yeah. Uh, because you'd hear that. people go what do you think uh, we'd call uh, what's that shop called the big shop over there Walmart? So yeah, we go yeah, what yeah. do you think we call Walmart over here? And you go yeah. why. Why are you writing a joke based around Walmart? And then, of course, once all these shows came out, people went, oh, no, this is a disaster. Everyone's heard of these things. But going back to the the, the alternative thing, is because I don't know if if there is a definition. If, in fact, this might be one of the problems now, is it's broad enough that you can't actually go, here is broad. Because what Michael McIntyre does is uh, probably d- does he actually go out there and go I must create this for a market or is it because he really wants to talk about no I think so what I'm saying is this yeah. ma- maybe what no, drives no, does
1: him is not write it? sorry does he even write what he does? He, doesn't yeah, no, write he does? all of it doesn't he
2: oh well no. I mean I haven't really watched much oh, he of his write stuff all but... of it, <laughs> because if you've been around long enough you can spot the bits that he's bought off Paul Tonkinson oh right okay. Yeah, like the the routine about the 80s pop group the the oh right which was a Paul Tom- old Paul Tonkinson routine. I on that one. He's not. He's no. It wouldn't occur. So it's an old Paul Tonkinson room from routine from like 1989. Oh, I when do remember the that. One, yeah. We're in the charts. <laughs> but overall, what he's writing yeah. is no, his, he you know that, that, that's what he because
0: he does it, one thing that I know he gets a lot of flack and uh you know he gets a lot of flack and he gets a lot of money. I mean that's the yeah, thing yeah, is it? once you're that famous, yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. But I would say he obviously really does love comedy. He's oh, not. Yeah, you know yeah. there are some people you meet and you think this is just a stepping stone or you're just doing it because the hours that you
2: know you don't really. Care yeah. But he is oh, very passionate about what no, he does I think he and thinks, very worried about I think he's really, you know, likes to that. So can I, can I go back to this? Just, yeah. yeah. We, when you talk about what's alternative and what's not, and you are talking about this happened in 1980, this happened in 1990, one of the things that's different now, I think, I noticed this hanging on to my little music critic job, is that there used to be a sort of linear cultural progression, right, in influences, right, and things would come and go and yeah. whatever. And, like, in, for example, in pop music, you could sort of see, like... Uh, When people got in, lots of people got into Big big Star, mainly Glaswegian bands, in Mm. about 1990. Someone told me that's because FOP found a load of old Big Star records and sold them in Scottish record shops, and then suddenly all Scottish indie bands sounded a bit like Big Star. That is uh why I got my first Big Star record in the old FOPs, 22 or three years ago. It's not an impossible thing to think because again, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't. So you, you know, things did go in sort of ways. Like there's a theory that all. Uh, indie bands from New Zealand in the nineteen eighties sounded like the Velvet Underground because somebody had a Velvet Underground album in Dunedin. You know, and it's it's sort of that simple. So there used to be like linear cultural progressions and things, and obviously alternative comedy in the eighties was a reaction to the seventies, and then you had the New Lad stuff in the nineties that was a reaction to the politically correct stuff of the eighties, and on and on and on. Right, a weird thing now. I, I got I re- re- listened to a record the other day by a group called Admiral Sir Cloudsley Shovel. Right. It They'll never like, get
1: anywhere with that no, name. <laughs> no, well,
2: it sounds like Budgie, who are an incredibly unfashionable early seventies British blues rock band. But it sounds like Budgie with sixties sort of psychedelic effects on it, played. In a, in a way that sounds a bit like a late 70s New York punk band. Now, that would never, I don't think that would ever have happened 20 years ago, but now it happens because all things are available for yeah, you to listen yeah. to simultaneously. Whereas before you had to kind of, there were but that's things the thing that came and went. So iTunes. with comedy, you know, you know, they can take yeah. what they want from different times, can't
1: they? Yeah, that's like with iTunes, yeah. the way that some songs now are in the charts, but they're from 1983 yeah, yeah. because they will have been used in a film or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah what well, yeah, I, I find most interesting
0: about the Glasgow Big Star thing yeah. is. I bought uh, my first Big Star album in in the Glasgow FOP in the early 90s, but I also bought the best of the Bangles. So looking at the kind of many worlds interpretation, there are now many bands, uh, early 90s Glasgow bands, that actually were
2: more influenced by Bangles than Big Star. Well, yeah, except what's the best Bangles record? What, like an Egyptian? cover of September Girls by Big Star. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh. which they, which which is on that uh, album with all the squares on the front. Which they and they they were covering Big Star when you couldn't get a Big Star record anywhere. Ah. So you know it may. I've have got. I've got a Hazy Shade of, you know. Simon Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. very nice. But um, you know, I mean, it's sort of. And so I, I should imagine with comedy, if you're a young, if you're someone in your teens that's into comedy, you can look on YouTube and you can look at all different stuff from all different eras, and it isn't sort of codified like it used to be when we were younger. Where it went in chronological periods it's mm. just all this stuff you can sort of have a look at so we haven't really got anywhere I suppose with with the well, it doesn't matter though does it That's it's always interesting whenever we talk about comedy on the show it always becomes the most serious subject doesn't it yeah but um, I mean I, I think that the I think that the fact that there is a kind of uh, homogenousness about the sorts of people that you see on the big stand up shows on telly would I do, I do think that helps to create a um, a uh, an alternative culture and market certainly if i was a teenager now and i was watching all those shows i would hate them
1: Mm. and
2: i'd hate all the people on them and i wouldn't want to be a stand-up but then if i came and saw some of the sorts of nights you put on i might want to be you know so it's sort of i would but but the the other thing is it also benefits them because the fact that there's an alternative i mean i noticed the 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 reviews for kevin bridges and michael mcintyre and whatever this time around on their tours in the broadsheets they tend to go well, it doesn't do this and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do this, but 12,000 people were laughing and you'd be churlish not to um, not to admi- admit that three stars. So I think actually the existence of an alternative, of an unreliable alternative scene where things might be shit <laughs> but will be interesting actually helps consolidate those things as well because it means if you want if you want a dependable big night out, you go to see those people so I think it it's sort of quite it's quite um helpful what was sort of unhelpful I think was when people with very different aims are being judged against each other by critics and and the public you know it's not that they're not trying to do the same thing and there is a kind of assumption that all comedies are the same whereas no one would say that about music you know no one would go to see uh, a, a quiet piece of Estonian holy minimalist classical music and say it wasn't loud enough yeah, <laughs> yeah I couldn't dance to it you just expect you knew that its, its purpose was different I try
0: to different. explain that it, when I get people you know, when, when, when you get a message every now and again and I understand why you avoid the internet and someone just says you're not funny yeah, and I will always, you know, just reply going, "You don't understand the difference between subjective and objective." But thank you for your feedback, because that's the, you know, the, there's, the, and but people get so passionate more than anything else. Whenever I write anything about comedy, I get more reactions saying either that I'm right or I'm wrong, or I'm glad someone's written this, or I'm furious someone's written this, than if you write about something which seems to actually have uh, world importance. You know, when people get like on, on forums and stuff like that, sometimes there's tremendous aggression about someone who you go, well. They're not even on telly very much. They're, they're so... When people get furious about something that is easily avoidable, you can be furious about a politician because you think they are in some ways affecting my world, possibly, by what they're doing. But going, do you know what makes me really angry? Sometimes I walk past that comedy club in Rathbone Place and the window's open and I hear a sentence come out <laughs> from that comic and that makes me furious. And you go, just walk quicker. It's fine. Maybe they'll
2: close the window next time. It's winter now. It's all right. Well, and that, the only thing that seems comparable to me is when I stumble through talk radio. And oh. loads of people seem to have an opinion about how they would manage uh, a fo- the, the England football team, even though they have no background. And they're so angry, about uh, so them. angry about how they would do it differently, even though you know they're probably thirty stone and <laughs> never even run for a ball or you know. But I think I think with comedy, it's that everyone likes to think they have a sense of humour, and it's mm. one of the things that's on dating things, isn't it? G S O H, mm. good sense of humour. We all like to think we have a sense of humour, and uh, and it defines us in some way, and that it's a good thing to have. So I suppose that's why people get wound up about comedy, because if you don't get a joke on some level you feel you're being judged. Well,
0: that's the difference because I, I think one of the things you've said, just going back to, that, is unreliability is something which I think we need to promote more often. Yeah, I think with one of the wonderful things about the and, and it happens. There's lots of clubs now that are doing this more and more, uh, which is going. You've come here. We're all going to experiment. Hopefully, you're going to enjoy it. Mm. I think what happens sometimes is that the audience go, and I've noticed this in festivals now. I know mm. you don't really do music festivals now, but I remember years ago when we were talking at Glastonbury, and you went. The wonderful thing about Glastonbury is you go out there and you play to an audience of people. You go, I'd like to drink with any of these people there yeah, to yeah. music. And now I've I've noticed because festivals are really mainstream as well. Yeah, you yeah. have people walking past going. I mean I was really angry because I walked past a tent. I'm I'm with my seven year old and I heard someone say fuck. And you go, you're in a festival. It's like, you know, when I was with Archie and we were at the Green Man this year, we finally find somewhere where we can get a corn burger. We sit there and sexy motherfucker comes on the sound system. And as I said that night, you know, the only time, you've never realised how many times the phrase sexy motherfucker is in the song sexy motherfucker till you're sat with a four and a half year old. But I don't go, I'm furious. I go, I've come into a field that's a festival. And in the same way, I think the audience now sometimes that they go,
2: entertain me, hurry up, keep entertaining me. And you go, well,
0: there's a two way thing here.
2: I think that people think you know that everything's for them and I think it's because there's so much choice now that so you kind of expect to be entertained on your own terms in Edinburgh I did that show there was a show in Edinburgh this year called The Return of the Lumberjacks and it was um, Stuart Francis uh, and Glenn, uh, Wool? Glenn Wool and Craig Campbell mm. Who were all Canadian and fifteen years ago had done a show together, which is probably a really good pairing. Then, now in a way it isn't because Stu Francis is massive. I mean, he's on all those package shows on telly, and thousands yeah. of people go and see him. And I did it as a guest at the weekend. And there was a sizeable minority of the audience that were waiting for Stu Francis, and after Glenn had been on and Craig had been on and me, they were still shouting that they hadn't seen any comedy yet. Really? Yeah. And um, there were
1: people heckling that. Yeah,
2: people heckling that, and it's sort of, and I think that's because they. They come what, in with an. They Glenn come Moore in with an. So funny. I know.
1: Yeah. The rest right. of you. Awful. I know. Yeah. Well, they were all.
2: I know. They certainly had seen. They but not, <laughs> that's not only. Not only had they. Not only had they seen comedy. They'd sort of seen all comedy, really. Yeah, <laughs> kind they of spread of different kinds of treat stuff. Of, yeah, I know. So yeah, it was weird, but and I think that's because they have an expectation of getting what they've seen, right? You know, mm-hmm. so in a way. In a way, the problem with those programmes is they close people's minds down a bit unless exactly. they were to broaden their um, horizons, which they sort of can't because you do, you can see on them when they take a bit of a punt on someone, sometimes they find it quite hard to find supportive reaction shots from the audience. When, yeah. it's, when there's the kind of act on Live at the Apollo that we would all stand at the back really laughing at,
1: mm.
2: you can see the audience struggling with it. But that's I had one, sorry. No, no, no.
1: Basically, that's the thing which is... There's definitely this thing now that there wasn't ten years ago about like they've been on the telly, they've not been on the telly, which is more like America, I suppose, or something like that. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that people kind of uh, are that little bit more celebrity about it, and that little bit more like um, stratifying things in a way that I don't think they were as much yeah. ten years ago. I, I don't know what that really means about. Comedy. Well, club owners say
2: know. that on the you know on the internet, club owners say you know you can't get anyone in now unless you've got someone who's been on roadshow on your mm. bill but you know they've always got reason They're yeah do you know what? what you
0: can also or you create a club where you you build a kind of the recreation the
2: cultish thing yeah which, you create you know, a club where, the, where you say I guarantee you will not see anyone that has been on roadshow on it and then you get an audience like that yeah you know, it's sort of
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: See, I think that's an interesting because that thing of,
0: you know, I know what I do is quite niche, and it's it's kind of broad in terms of the age group. But I'm definitely niche, and I, and I found that thing of expectation where I've I've done a few gigs at Hammersmith, like kind of sciency gigs, in a Douglas yeah, yeah. Adams birthday gig, and every time it's a joy, three and a half thousand people, and I'm there dicking about about quantum mechanics or whatever. And then I did uh, a scope benefit, which Ben Elton was hosting. Yeah, and I'm in the same there. room. Yeah, and so you have got. Oh, it's and such I just And, isn't and it? as I walked on, I thought. Oh, I'm going to change what I was going to do. I've realised that. I could tell by the reaction. Yeah. You know, there was even seemed to be... Some people, I think, had heard of me because there was a sense of annoyance in their <laughs> applause. Yeah. And, and then I thought... Um no, I think i better change something. i better do, I'll do that bit. Also, I should have done my flies up. Always do your flies up when you are yeah, have some yeah, yeah. But that, that thing, and, and I found, when I did your, your show that you produced for, yeah, for yeah, uh, comedy, yeah, yeah. you know, as you know, I had a bit of a weird time. Yeah, you did, yeah. And as I walked in, I thought, because, you know, you've produced a show, kind of the alternative comedy thing, yeah. and it's affected me for about two months, by the way. Well, you when know, you know what up, that was,
2: right, was basically, we, we, um, we got all people on that. We've made a, Series for Comedy Central that's called The Alternative Comedy Experience and the idea was to have all the sorts of people that would fit that brief. And um, so we had to fill ten, sh- ten audiences over t- over five days at the stand in Edinburgh which about 150 seater. And there were about two shows, the early evening ones, midweek, where we hadn't sort of filled it with the majority of people that would normally go to the stand or people that we wanted. And you were in one of those. There were people that were kind of bust in by the television audience company and they didn't really... A lot lot of the people that were in those shows had more difficult times. Although, to be fair, you were all asked to contact your own uh, mailing lists about the show which you didn't do did you yeah I did did you oh, I don't have a mailing list well you know you but
0: also think? I had I just played there as well that was yeah. one of the other things but no I think no but I'm not blaming that what I yeah. think is interesting is that because sometimes you get so used no. to the, the audience that I played no, to on tour that. and then I suddenly go and so I have no idea why things do I go why is this not working I don't yeah. understand why this isn't working yeah. because uh, you know references to Schrodinger and those kind of things or to
2: Heisenberg yeah, whatever yeah. it might be and whether and, and that, that can be a danger as well where yeah you we just need to put um, you need to put a sentence in before mentioning those things it explains what they are yeah and
0: that's why I forget
2: sometimes snobbishly assuming yeah, but you do
1: that that's right. another half hour onto the <laughs> show yeah but to be fair t- t- you know
0: Stuart's act is about snobbish assumptions so that's that's what the whole thing well sorry the characters do it it's based, not based actually
2: there's never there's never I never I never mention a thing that I think that I think people won't know about
0: do you know what I get this it. thing and I, I don't want to yeah. be like tetchy about this it. and this isn't about your show this yeah, is just yeah. generally that I think Schrodinger's cat being the most famous thought experiment of all time do you know what catch the fuck up no Schro- one Schro- no. Schrodinger's cat is is no I'm, I'm sick of yeah, that idea but what idea. about
1: people who are like 12, 13, 14 who don't know what that is but they're not in and there no. are
0: they because there's a licensing thing where what they sneak in and actually do you know what coat. I get 13, 14 year olds in, in, know, in the audience I know and sometimes they'll be like yeah. oh I
1: love it yeah because they haven't drunk any alcohol yet but the thing is you have got (laughs) i accept that there'll be some people who are ignorant not by choice, just by circumstance. For example, when I was a teenager, I didn't know about the existence of things like Bikini Kill, so I liked things like Hole. That is not to my detriment. That's just because I was groping for what I wanted and I couldn't find it. Did you use
0: the Babes in Toyland bridge that was made or not?
1: The only way I found Babes in Toyland was by going to a proto-Poundland and looking through the tapes and buying myself a That was Harmon
2: Leon's sister, you know, Babes in Toyland.
1: Who's
2: Harmon Leon? Not B.L. No, uh, Michelle Leon in Babes and oh. Toyland. Who's Harmon Leon? Harmon Leon was an American stand-up. He still does a fringe occasionally, but I think he he sort of must have independent wealth of some sort. He had um, he had. has uh, got all
1: that Toyland money, right? No, he had some
2: great um, bits. Harmon, we we went and stayed with him in San Francisco in the um, early '90s and met uh, lots of people that subsequently became famous, like the uh, the, the bloke that did. Uh, that, you know, that magazine might it became another one.
1: Oh, uh, Dave Eggers, yeah, Dave
2: Eggers was around, he uh, used to do yeah. stuff with him. Harmon
0: um, um, Leon, who, yeah, yeah. he's uh, um, thanks very much. The producers coming, oh, we got to stop now. This podcast was produced by Adrian McKinden and edited by Mike Pell. Now,
1: um, please, if you listen to this in the next um, 50 odd days, would you sponsor my film just for 50 pence or a pound at slash romance underscore and underscore adventure?
0: For more podcasts, visit comedycentral.co.uk slash podcast. Do you see what I did there? I actually put it in the middle of the thing. So, so they've they got can't to keep that And Stuart's uh, DVD is out in November. His new yeah. Carpet Remnant World DVD uh, is out in November. Oh, I've got a I'm on tour as well. You're on tour. Yeah, yeah I'm not them. on tour. Go and see Josie Long on tour.